In this episode of Find the Good News, I visit with Carrie Hankins, nurse, mother, wife, daughter, sister, nonprofit founder, and creator of Truth, Facts, and Lies. She says she's ordinary and there's nothing special about her. I tend to disagree. I see her standing up and helping teens when she could have easily done nothing and just worried about herself. Maybe the fact that she's ordinary but doing extraordinary things is precisely what makes her special. She's the right person at the right time to do the work she's doing. I think she's good and I think you'll find the good in her too. Wake up, it's morning You're dreaming up a story I can hear The way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance And a holy wall of light Pouring through your window Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you just want to shut it all down And get no news at all with Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Orrin Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just. There's something fascinating about the unscripted mind, I think, you know, where you end up going and what you learn about people that, that just really, it's always fascinated me, but that's really shining light on people in a whole different way. And it really, that's kind of what got me thinking about you and other people that I've met through my job, because on one hand I can say, I know Carrie Hankins, you know, and then on another hand I go, well, I really sit down and say, I know Carrie Hankins and someone gave me a piece of paper and said, well, write down what you know about Carrie Hankins. Well, I can make a short list and you might be able to do the same for me, mm -hmm. but do I really know you? And then the question is, well, do you want to? I was going to say, do you, you know? really want to get in here, Warren? Yeah, well, I do <laughs> because I, uh, you know, as you know, the name of this is find the good news and, and something that's really and this is just for me it's like I only know me this well and I know for me <clears throat> the news has uh sort of painted my worldview I think it's doing that to all of us it's doing mm -hmm. this to our kids and uh I just started realizing you know especially when I got off social media so a couple of years ago I got off completely it was right after my father died it's funny how many times I talk about my father passing away but it was a moment and it changed things mm -hmm. So I got off and I said, I'm, I'm going to just take a break from completely. But I wanted to start a prayer event. And so I needed it to communicate with people because the old way just wasn't working. You know, handing out flyers and dropping off from cars and that yeah. just wasn't going to be that way. So got back on, but I made a conscious decision when I got back on, said, okay, I can control the valves of what flows into this feed and then I can control what I put out. 
So I did that for a while and I really started tightening it up and I realized, man, my attitude changes when I feed myself good news and good information and then I feel better when I'm sharing that. And it doesn't mean that I don't ever, you know, share the firebrand information where something really is unjust, but... For the most part, when I tune into Facebook now or Twitter or whatever, it's it's good. And I thought, you know, how many people do I know who are doing really good things that just aren't getting airtime? And uh, they're even better people than the thing they're doing. And it comes from somewhere. I think good comes from good. So if they're doing a good work, it's got to come from somewhere. And so immediately... On one hand, I thought of five people that I know. It didn't take two seconds to think of those five people, and you were one of them. That's very flattering, but also seems like so misplaced. I'm so very average, like just well stumbling through what I'm doing and putting one foot in front of the other and playing the cards I was dealt. That's well, kind of how I see it. But how? So let's talk about that. What are you doing? So this is for like. Yeah, where we've been recording. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> we're on. Um, so I started Truth, Facts, and Lies in 2016. I guess if we backpedal a bit, I'm a family nurse practitioner. And for a while, I was doing adolescent GYN visits at a pediatric practice in town and was allowing about an hour in these exams just for education and to talk to these girls about what's going on in their life. And we quickly realized when we were giving factual, non-judgmental information, they were changing their behaviors without me ever saying, you shouldn't do that, or offering a recommendation. They changed on their own. And we're so proud to come back and tell us that. So that's kind of where the seed for everything for Truth, Facts, and Lies got started. They were also making big life decisions based on bad information they had gotten from a friend, um, which is, from a parental standpoint, is not ideal. Yeah. Um, so that's where the seed started. In 2016, the Kids Can Initiative asked for awareness and prevention programs for teenagers as our community grew. We were looking at the needs and kind of anticipating problems that would come up. So I got put on that committee, and we were looking at human trafficking, online solicitation, suicide, and abuse. And I pitched this little idea that would kind of look like D.A.R.E. maybe, where we'd pull some kids and work real closely with those kids, get them really comfortable, give them factual, non-judgmental information, and they would go share it with their peers. Um, I didn't think anything of it, just this little easy-peasy program we'll do in high schools. So that was April of 16. We started in five schools. We became an independent nonprofit that summer. By August, we were in nine schools. The following year, we were at 13. And this year, we're at 21, I believe. Um, And it's become my full-time unpaid job. Wow. So truth, facts, and lies. What exactly is truth facts and lies because you said it but for the viewer i know right. what it is but, well yeah no that's okay because i mean they don't know what that is and i do but tell us so, what that is truth facts and lies is a seven session education program schools can do it a couple different ways some schools have put us in health education so every kid that comes through health ed is going to be in truth facts and lies some schools pull a group of about 30 kids and they participate. I'm going to the Houston Ballet Academy this year, and I'm going to teach their professional students. So those are kids living in a, um, it's like a boarding school almost for ballet. So lots of schools are doing it differently. And we go in each month and te- or each week, however the school runs it, and teach a different session. So we're covering how to set and communicate boundaries. We talk about bullying versus just being a jerk and conflict resolution. 
Um, we're on, we do social media. How do we navigate some of the challenges that social media presents? Online solicitation and human trafficking, dating and relationship abuse, because one in three teens who's dating is being abused, and I find that number staggering. It is. And when I ask teenagers, do you feel like that's high? Because it seems high to me. They say, no, it seems about right or maybe even a little low. And they're not identifying a lot of the things they do as being abusive. And they're still telling me that number seems low. So we cover dating and relationship abuse and then addiction and the teenage brain, how your brain responds and changes based on it or in response to addictive behaviors or substances. And we focus a lot on pornography because it's been such a common problem with teens these days. Um, so that's kind of our program. In every session, our goal is to give them a graceful out, or it's an exit strategy. If you're in a situation that makes you uncomfortable or nervous, or if it's even dangerous, how do you get out of that? Who's your safe person? Who's that backup person you can always call to help you out no matter what has happened? So that's so, in, a nut- in a nutshell. Yeah, and that's a lot. It's you a mean, lot. You can unpack. <laughs> no, and it's really amazing, because I mean, I know, you know from filming the program, and just seeing the things you talk about, I learn stuff every time. You know, my brain just starts spinning. And uh, I have a teenager, but that actually is kind of what leads me to my next question is, so your children, as I understand, they're younger. They're little. So <clears throat> most people, the story may go like this. They have your job, they encounter these women or girls or whatever, but then they apply what they're seeing and they go, I have a teenager, I'm gonna do something about this. But you don't have a teenager, so what prompts you versus someone else? Somebody else could have, you could have done nothing. Why do something rather than nothing when it's not really right at your doorstep? I mean, it's in your job, but right. you, you see where I'm so going. So I'm not even pediatric practice anymore. Um, I've switched over to urgent care, which is so much fun. Love it. But teenagers are always my favorite patients. That's been my favorite age group to work with. They have this fascinating worldview Um, They want to be heard. They have great ideas. And if I expect things in our country or our world to move forward and get better, then I think we have to invest in the kids who are going to carry us there. Um, From a home standpoint, I'm always looking to learn to help guide us as we parent our three kids. Our oldest is 10. We have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And it's kind of a circus all the time. But I hope when they're adults, they look back and think, my opinion mattered. My parents were open to hearing my thoughts and my view on things. And I've always told them, if you disagree with a rule or a policy, come talk to me about it. You better be ready to back it up. Right. You want them to be thinkers. Yes. I want them to be thinkers. And I want them to look at issues from multiple viewpoints and not just go where the tide carries them or where society is carrying them. You have to look at all sides of that issues and form an opinion for yourself. Um, so I don't know if that necessarily answers your question. Yeah, it does to some degree. I mean, I have some more questions about that because I, uh, sometimes digging inside of myself, I find that I've done something or I've made a choice and, uh, this choice that I've made as, as on, upon reflection, uh, came from something else that maybe happened and not just one event, maybe a series of important things that maybe even go back to very early childhood. I mean, I can, I do that all the time and I'm fascinated once I start putting those little dots together. So, I mean, for you, have you? So there's a few. Um, I've been incredibly blessed to be surrounded by these amazing, strong, funny women my whole life. Um, My grandmother who had every right to be bitter and angry and mean, she had the hardest life, still loved 
everyone. She never met a stranger. Everyone was welcome at her door, her table. She was going to take you in and feed you and love you. She had a kind word for everyone, which as a kid was mortifying when she was going up to strangers and complimenting their hair or whatever it might be. Um, but she just exuded warmth and strength and perseverance and honor. So there's that. Um, I hope that at the end of my life, I've made my grandmother and my parents and my sisters proud. Um, I love the JFK quote, and it actually goes further back. It's from Luke. He adapted it, but to whom much is given, much is expected. And I feel like I got plopped down into this amazing life with parents who raised me up and said I can do anything I want, and I have amazing sisters. My husband is the greatest cheerleader I could ever hope for. How did I get so... I didn't do anything to deserve this. So at the end of my life, I want to know that I've earned it, and I made it count. That really goes back to what I said. Why do something versus nothing? You know, what puts a seed in you that blooms like that, that... When you've received a blessing, you intuit that I should give that away, that the gift is in giving it away. You've received it, so that's your impulse is to give it away. Not everybody has that impulse. I'm always very curious about what makes one different from another. You know, I know that there's nurture factors, nature factors, and then there's some mystery thing that I am always... for. 20 years of my life, at least, I've wanted to put my finger on. And every time I try to, I find books or, or things in life that kind of frame around that. But I can't quite give it a name, but there's just some kind of mystery spot that makes a person different than the next person. Outside of their nurturing and outside of nature. So, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Like, have you ever thought... Uh, why am I standing up and somebody else isn't? What makes me? Have you ever contemplated that? Like, I guess I actually don't feel like I'm that unique or different. I feel like anybody who was in this path that I was put on would have done the same thing because that's what it's expected of but you. But that's not true. Um, I mean, that isn't true. Not anybody would do this. And we want I want to believe that we all have that capacity. And it's one of my, my things I try to ask people. Do we believe really that we all have the capacity to really change and be better? Do you believe that? Yes. Um, I also believe that it's much easier. I think your life circumstances influence that a lot. So while it's a lot easier for me to have gone to college and to be involved in my community and try to make the right choices and give back, someone else may not have had the family support that I had. They may not have gotten to go to college. They may not have had that constant push that I had. And so I can't expect someone to make the same choice as I would sure. if they didn't have the same upbringing and the same advantages. Um, and I think it's I think people forget that sometimes, that we aren't all starting at right. the same start line. And see, you're reaching out. That That's what I think is beautiful. And you, you say you're ordinary. I say you're not. I mean, who am I to judge on that? I mean, nobody. Just like you just said, I'm ordinary too. But when I see what you're doing, that's what I think. I think, hey, here's somebody. I think it's inspiring because... It might be blush, Warren. No, I really do. I mean, because Carrie, how much easier is it to just float through the busyness of life and just take care of yours alone? I mean, it is easy. And I struggle with the same thing. Now, I haven't done anything. I mean, I'm a father and I have children and that's important. And I try to take care of the people I can to whatever degree I can. 
Do I do anything extra? I'm not so sure. Maybe I do and I don't even realize it because that happens. But so many of us just kind of float through. Even if we have the same upbringing as you, blessings as you. And so there's just, I don't know. I, I just, I'm always fascinated by that. And when I see you, I'm going, hey, here's somebody who had a normal life. And she just made a choice to do this. She did not have to do this. I don't think it was ever a choice. Like it was never really? a do I or don't I. This is just, this is what's expected And of you me. just did it. I'm a typical oldest child, type A, going to make my parents proud at all costs. Um, have you ever read the, the book about Enneagrams? you know anything about the Enneagram? No, I don't. Uh-uh. It's fascinating. Totally worth reading. I'm a one. Um, we're task oriented. We're fixers and problem solvers. And we're not going to relax when there's things to do around us. We're going to take care of it. Um, other famous ones are like Martha Stewart. Yeah. Ones typically cringe when we find out we're ones. Um, but I don't know. It, it, dev- it never felt like a should I or shouldn't I do this. It was just, let's do it. And we'll figure it out as we go. You know, and see, I guess I can relate. When I do find an opportunity to do something that I would call good, you know, typically it's not something planned. Right? Does it feel like that with this? Because for me, it's usually when I, um, a lot of times just with a stranger, you know, I encounter someone and for whatever reason they're in my life all of a sudden and they have a need. And most of the time that need is just somebody to acknowledge that they exist. They maybe need resources, whatever those may be food, water, shelter, clothing, you name it. But most of the time, it's more of a poverty of love and attention. And so I find I end up in that kind of service. And I can't even tell you that there's no quanti- way to quantify no. that. I don't know what that's going to be. It happens here a lot in, in this business. And so what I find is when that happens and I just say, okay, my heart's open and my ears are open and I'm going to cry with you and just let you know that your life is heard, whatever that may be, something comes alive in me that is different than any other thing I do in my life. I could build a house. I could, you know, do something that fits into the structure of society and the world. I can have a great financial success. I can get a new project. I can make a great TV commercial, launch a big brand, and none of it. I mean, I don't, 20 years of that, and none of it's as fulfilling to my heart as that moment. Do you feel, thing? does that kind of, can you relate to that with truth, facts, and lies and what you're doing? Do you have those feelings like that? Yeah, there's definitely days where I feel like, oh my gosh, we've raised all this money from our community. I'm now not working as a nurse practitioner very often, if ever. So I'm not financially commu- contributing to my family, which is I've worked since I was 13 years old. Yeah. It's strange to not have Sure, that's a big change income. in your whole tempo. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a tough one for me to swallow. Um, but there's, and so there's moments where I think, am I doing the right thing? Are we just spinning our wheels? Is this all worth it? And then something will happen with one kid and I'll get to have one moment with one of them and think, okay, maybe, maybe through all this, one person's life is going to be a little bit better, or we're going to have one little change because of what we're doing. And I think I have to remind myself on days, if we made one person's life better, then it was worth it. Yeah. I think that's totally right. I think that, um, group mind and group think and sometimes sometimes it can be bad i think it's good to work as a unit with a lot of people or even in communities and things like that but sometimes that can go sour and lead a bunch of people in the wrong way and we can start to go well the whole group the whole group it's we got to do what's right for the whole group and then at some point 
we forget that there's like little individuals that are kind of getting squashed in the herd and they're, they're, I, it's probably a, a dark way to say it, but I sometimes feel like, Hey, their innocence and their blood is on our hands, you know, because we're accomplishing a lot as a group, but there's just sacrifices, human sacrifices being made along the way, you know? And so when you get to see one kid and you go, the whole world's in this one heart right here, you yeah. know, it's a reflection of everybody. I hope they feel heard at the end of our sessions that they had an opportunity to voice their fears or their concerns or their triumphs and their joys or, and I hope they leave feeling empowered to share this with a friend or make a change. And I hope that Carrie stays with them. Um, I want them to have a chance to feel heard and yeah. valued. You know, I can only talk about my personal life cause I have a teenage son and you know, he's in your program Love him. <clears throat> and he loves it. I think it's his favorite thing to do. I think do. I embarrassed him at school the other day. I saw oh. him in the hallway. I was like, Dada! <laughs> yeah. He, he loves you. He loves the program. I think he would do something like that with his life. Jonah's got a big heart. He's a, you know, and I know this term gets used in a derogatory way, but he's a social justice warrior. I mean, and I, I hear a lot of people say that in a negative way, like snow, you know, I even heard you at snow. I know snowflake. Just, I hate that term. Oh, me too. I talked about it Gets with my Mickey. shoulders up. Yeah, you know, Mickey and I talked about it last night. I say we talked about it. I bring it up because it stings. And I don't know why it stings. I still am kind of meditating on that because I actually think it's kind of a beautiful concept to go, okay, I mean, snowflake feelings, whatever. But in reality, I am a snowflake. I There's no other one of me. My fingerprints are different than yours. This, my upbringing's different than yours. I am a unique being. And, you know, in a spiritual aspect, that's even more beautiful because you're loved particularly if you believe that. Yeah. That's a snowflake. That's the description of a snowflake. It's a one-time one thing. There's no other snowflake like another. And that's a beautiful thing. So why right. are we making that a negative thing in the world? Well, to me, I think what I've heard people say is, oh, the snowflake generation, they think they're in, everybody should think, everything should be handed to them. They're very entitled. And we can't offend anybody else. And everybody's unique and special. Well, while I don't want my children to ever be entitled, right. I hope uh, the Hankins kids grow up to see that both their parents working really hard. And to value hard work and where it can take you and what it can do for your community and your family. Um, I don't like the aspect of that term snowflake as they're so easily offended and we have to be so careful. Tender with everybody. Well, I hope my children are growing up to be compassionate yeah. and to see things from some other person's point of view and not railroad them. Right. And just because it's always Agreed. been done one way, does that make it the right way yeah i grew up with that same you know compassion big word for me it's my favorite word i was a lot older when i finally looked into what that word meant and when i did just the simple words i went oh my gosh yes to suffer with we don't want to suffer nobody wants to suffer you say suffering and someone says stick your hand in that fire that's suffering that's pain but compassion says that other is in that fire. I have to stick my hand in that fire to help them. That blows my mind. That to me, compassion is, it's everything. And so when I was a kid, I remember when I think the first few, I, I have memories of when compassion, literally that thing awoke in me. Uh, and they were moments I still remember. 
well, I valued them highly. I didn't think, I don't think I knew how to express those things, but I really valued those moments and that part of myself. But as I grew into, you know, I guess a young man, I always had a hard time because there was this image of being a man that wasn't compassionate. And I even looked around and thought, man, the world wants men to be hard, not compassionate. Um, and it even, honestly, if I can jump into this, I mean, it was even what kind of drove me for a long time away from being a Christian. Because I, I saw secretly, which is strange, I saw compassion in Jesus. You know, I was like, what a compassionate, that's what compassion looks like. But then I didn't see compassion in men. So I had, I had a conflict that I couldn't resolve. And so I walked away for a long time. And, I, and then I just struggled with it my whole life. I was like, so it's not okay to be a tender man? It's not okay to be gentle? Those were almost seen as feminine qualities, female qualities. And I just, it bothered me. And then I have a son now who embodies those things freely. And he's been chastised for it too. So that's something, and I see. I, I know you talk. A, you kind of go into that territory with truth, facts, and lies too. What what men is expected of men, and what the perceptions are of men's perceptions of women, and I don't know. And you're seeing a lot of that in the world now too. I mean, boy, it's alive like a wildfire. What a subject! I don't even know where I'm going. You say <laughs> compassion, boy. I got off on that, but I got hungry for for compassion. Uh, <laughs> but I guess what I'm I'm wondering is. You know, you said you have boys, right? I have two boys, one girl. One, oh, that's okay. You have a daughter too. I always forget. I don't know why. I guess I. My oldest is a daughter. And how old is she? She's ten, but she acts like she's about fifty. She's like this, <laughs> she, and she's always been this adult trapped in this little bitty child's body from the, the time she started speaking. She was signing to us. She was. She's a great communicator. That's her gift. Is her ability to communicate and read. So she was twelve months old, and she would sign to communicate with us before that's, she that's could wild. speak. That... Um, and so she's just amazing and she's got such a good heart and her worldview is fascinating. But as a parent, I see different challenges for her than I do for my boys and not that one's challenge is greater, but they're very different. And I worry about my kids for very different reasons. I have to teach her to be strong. And I don't like that society has told us that women need to be the morality keepers for the men in our lives. I don't think that's fair for my boys that undermines their own abilities. They right. should be able to function like normal humans and not have some girl police them. Yeah. Um, so I don't like that for them. I worry about my boys learning how to respect women and get a good consent and understand what that is to value someone for who they are as a person and not what they look like or what they can do for you. Um, so I think parenting girls and boys is going to be interesting as they get older. Yeah. Have you ever struggled with things with, with vanity issues or anything like that? I mean, I would love to say that I'm going to grow old gracefully and it's totally fine. No, it's a tough blow. It's hard to, it's hard to watch things kind of deteriorate. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to teach young people <clears throat> about vanity. And I don't mean vanity in like a, a salacious way, you right. know, uh, I mean it in in a sense of a uh, healthy vanity, right? You know, having some pride in yourself just as you are, um, but not getting wrapped up in vanity. Because I, I think every generation of kids deals with that for some reason or another. It's just a, it's a human issue. Right. Um, I hope my daughter never feels like her worth is based on how she looks, but yeah. rather on what she can give and who she is on the inside. My grandmother used to always say, you're pretty on the inside, and that's what matters, and that's what shines through. So I hope that's where we're headed with her. I'm careful to never 
voice any of my insecurities in front of her because I think that's such a learned behavior and she's going to get plenty of feedback from the world around her. She doesn't need to hear her mother beat up. She doesn't need to hear me beat up on myself. Yeah. Because I don't ever want her to beat up on herself for how she looks. Um, so you're saying some wonderful things. Where do you learn these things? Where do they come from? I mean, you're saying this is what you want and this is how you feel. Is this something you've learned or is this something that you've felt? And where does that come from? Where does I call those things good, okay? And this shows find the good yeah. news. I, I wonder this a lot. So where does good come from? In you, that stuff you just said, if you wrote it down, you could hand that to somebody, and if they applied it, they would, that would actually be a good way to guide their life, or at least one little aspect of it. Where does that come from, for you? For me, um, I, honestly, Orin, this is going to sound so lame, I think my driving force is I want to make the people who care about me proud of me, and at the end of my life, I want to know I mattered that I made a difference somehow, somewhere. Um, I love Mother Teresa once said, if you want to see the face of God, you look to your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so true. We're so busy looking up, we forget to look at the people around us. And I think we're here to carry each other along. I I 100% agree with what you just said. I tend to find the holy in a human being, in their heart. I mean... When I see, when I have an encounter with someone who's in maybe despair or hurting and whatever that may be, I mean, it's been, it's been random and I don't know why this happens, but it happens a lot to me. It's happened my whole life and I'll just speak in the language I would use. God sends people into my life just because they're in pain and they need something and I might not see them again. And whatever gift is needed at that time, it comes and it goes away. And that's it. It isn't some big purpose. It isn't some long, you know, uh, it's not turning the tides of history, but it's in that one little person's life for a moment in time. And, you know, it's similar to what you're saying. I kind of go, I want to know that when the need arose, I did something that mattered to, to another human being. And that's just to me, I don't know. I find some kind of divine connection there for me. Something that says, ah, oh, this is important. It's not science. It's not chemistry. It's not just tangible. There's something else going on there. And I don't know what it is. And I want to be a part of that. And I, and whatever's, whatever happens when I'm not here, I want to be even more a part of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like, if all else fails, I hope my kids learn from my husband and I. Honor. You do the right thing. Honor. When no one else is watching, even if it's hard, I want you to be honorable because I feel like if you have that as your foundation, everything else falls into place. Yeah. And I watched my parents live their lives like that and give back to their community and do the right thing for each other and for their family and those around them, even when it wasn't easy. And I hope that my kids learn that as well. Yeah. Well, so... Everything else falls into place, I feel like if you're following a, a good code of honor. And I'm happy, I know it. You've probably heard me mention filming videos, building websites, creating logos, or building brands on this podcast. Well, there's a good reason for that. I'm a brand builder, and my brand is Parker Brand Creative Services. My team and I have built countless brands in the Gulf Coast region, and a lot of our work in the travel and tourism industry is experienced across the country, and honestly, the whole world. We have our specialties, web, logo, package, and whole brand design, as well as video production and photography. 
But the reality is we function as a full service advertising agency to businesses that don't really mesh well with larger advertising agencies or just don't want to have in-house creative departments. But don't listen to what I say. Just go to our website, parkerbrandup.com and take a look at what we do. We're a show it, don't say it team. Okay, you should definitely say it too, but you know what I mean. That's parkerbrandup.com. We think sideways, we push forward, and we'll get your brand up. So take this, you've earned it, a melody. So your parents, I'm glad you brought them up because I was going to ask. I mean, I, I, I asked this a lot of people that I, I'm trying to get to know. And is there ever, um, do your parents live in your head? You know, oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I could kick them out. Yeah. So how much of that happens? Like when you when do you find your parents' voices affecting what you're doing in your life as an adult? Every day, all day. Really? Um, oh yeah. My mom's. Who's, yeah. Who's stronger, mom or dad? So both in different in different roles. Um, my mom's involved in Truth, Facts, and Lies when I first got this crazy little idea. She's a nationally known educator. Um, she's very gifted at what she does. So I called her and said, hey, if I do the research, can you make it teachable for me? And yeah. she said, yes, no problem. Well, that's great and because so she, then you, she's, she knows how to structure things yes. for students. And so that's she's awesome. been an amazing resource. Um, I called my sister, who's a licensed counselor, and said, hey, I think we're going to do this. Do you want to help get involved? And she said, yes. So I have a great family of yes men. They're yeah. going to say yes and step up and help. Um, my dad is really um, kind of quiet and reserved. And having three daughters, I guess I didn't realize until I was an adult what crummy things people say to you. Like, oh, man, three girls. Don't you wish you had a boy? (laughs) And he was always so gracious about that and quick to say, no, I love my girls. It's the best thing ever. Uh, So we never felt less than with him, even though society and the people around us said, oh, that's sad. You don't have a son. And like I said, as a kid, I didn't realize that what a hateful thing that was to say. Yeah, but now is. as an adult, I look back at how gracious my, that's the best word I have for it. How gracious he was in those moments. He's an amazing cheerleader for us. He's um, the best feminist against all odds and encouraging my sisters and I to do whatever we want to do and be strong and independent. And he and my, and my parents have our back. You know, it's funny you saying that about your father, you brought a story to mind from me from my childhood and it wasn't with my father but it was with the father i was on a uh i guess it was like a basketball church retreat now it's probably i don't know i was in junior high but it's funny it's one of those moments that i went oh this is what i think a man should be like like i wasn't what everybody else thought but at least i say everybody i don't know what everybody else thought but i my perception was that there was something different and it was one of the men who was uh in our church and he was kind of chaperoning the event and we were on our way back we'd stopped at some kind of steakhouse to all the boys you know and i know like i said earlier i kind of didn't always fit in with the other boys because i wasn't i didn't hunt and i didn't fish and i didn't play sport i did play some sports i guess that's a lie but i didn't love it but uh we, we anyway we stopped to eat and it was all guys you know, so the whole boys will be boys thing. You know, I know I see your eyes because I feel the same way. It's like, what? But everybody, boys were being boys. And um, one of the boys said something that I went, that sound, I remember thinking, that sounds like something a man would say, but he was a boy. And he, he looked over at uh, the guy. I don't, I'm trying to not say his name. I don't, I don't know if he'll ever hear it, but I just don't want to. 
And the boy says to him, he goes, well, bet you enjoyed this weekend, get away from, from the wife and such and such, which was his daughter. And I thought, I kind of went, ugh. I just remember feeling like gross. But it didn't sound like something a kid would say. I immediately felt like, hey, you heard that somewhere. Right. You picked Parenting that up from another guy. And this man looks at him, and it was like the air got sucked out of the room. For me, the world just went quiet. He looks at him, and he said, no, I love my wife and daughter. And it was like the kid just turned his head. It was like he shut him down. He wasn't trying to be mean, but he right. wanted him to know what you just said is wrong. And I remember just like my heart just went thump, 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 you know, cheerleading for that statement. Now, probably on the outside, everything was normal in the world to everybody else. But I remember going, oh, wow, I'm going to remember this moment because that's how I'm going to be. I want to be this guy. I want to be like that when I, if I have a family. I want my wife to know I love her. I want my children to know I want to be with them. They're not things or burdens. I, would, I had them because I want to be with them, not get yeah. rid of them. And I just think that that's something that uh, maybe boys are taught when they're young that, you know, you're going to grow up and become a man. You're going to do man things, you know, being sensitive and telling people you love your wife and you love your kids. What are you talking about? You know, that's kind of a, I don't know. I grew up in a world where that was kind of what was out there. Yeah. Now, while I would never want my kids to think that they're a burden because they're the greatest gift I've ever been given and I'm thankful for him every day, I do think it's important for my husband and I to both have time away from sure. our role as mom, dad, spouse. He just went skiing on Lake Powell in Arizona for a week and was off the grid, and he didn't have his phone, and he couldn't talk to us. And I thought, what an amazing experience for him to just wow, do what yeah. he loved. <laughs> he got to wakeboard all day and recharge his batteries. Yeah, you know, and that's something I will say. I don't get, and a lot of people don't get, busyness can eat you alive. It really can. It can take all that goodness out of you. Or not take it out of you, but trap you in a cycle that you can't do anything good I think we all need a minute to recharge and be quiet sometimes. So how do you do that? Because you have a lot going on. I mean, every time I see you, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't ever look at you and go, oh, my gosh, she's over. She looks like she's overloaded. But I know you have a lot going on. You're building a business out of the program, which is awesome, I think. Who would have, I'm sure this isn't what you thought you'd be doing. Never in a million years. But all the work that goes into that, and then you're a mom, and then I'm sure you volunteer, and you do all this other stuff. So how do you, with all that going on, find moments? I mean, what do you do? Do you have to like consciously say, I'm doing this, or does it come naturally? It does not come naturally. Um I love to travel. I actually just got back late last night. Some friends and I did a road trip to Round Top, Texas to go through the antique fair. It was the first time ever. We stayed in a converted storage container. Oh, wow. Which was so That's cool. cool. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But typically with my friends, I'm always grateful to those friends who try to pull me out of... I'm task-oriented. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing to go do something else. So my friends who do reach out and say, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's go do something. Or force me to talk on the phone and catch up. That's good for me because I won't necessarily do it myself. Um, I try to go on date nights with my husband and our friends. We try to make sure that happens with some regularity, which is hard with kids and life. Sure. I mean, Michelle uh, and I would say the same thing. I mean, it's very hard. But I hope my kids see that Michael and I are each other's biggest cheerleaders and best friends. And yeah, I feel like every good decision in my life over the past 12 years, it all started with marrying him. And that opened so many doors 
Yeah, I, I would say for me, I wrote my mom a letter one time, and I don't remember. I think I, you know, I've, I've been married before. I went through a divorce, and it was. I don't want to say it's an ugly divorce, but the marriage got ugly towards the end. But early on in that marriage, <clears throat> I didn't. I guess I didn't write this letter to my wife, but I wrote it to my mom. And the one thing that I do recall in that, that I still to this day feel, is I wanted my mom to know that I loved her, but I wanted her to know that watch the way I love my wife, and you'll see the way I think you deserve to be loved. Uh, and that still kind of applies today. I want my mom, I wish that was what my mother had. I, I wanted that for her right. is to go, Hey, I can't be your husband. <laughs> I know this sounds strange. <laughs> I can't be your husband cause I'm your son, but I want you to know that whatever you raised me, you instilled in me a desire to love another and to somehow to whatever degree I can love them in a way that, uh, you, I think you deserve to be loved. Now that doesn't do anything for her, but I just wanted her to know that. I think that I think it's a high compliment for the mom. That I would I would be thrilled one day if my boys were good cheerleaders for their wives and respected them and loved them. And if that reflects back on how they were raised and what we modeled for them, then that's a win. Yeah, I've never understood that, Carrie. Like, um even when I go on like a retreat or something, an all male retreat or anything where it's just men. I find I have a hard time even today. I mean, I'm 44 years old and I still haven't quite figured out how to crack that nut. You know, like, how? what is it? Because it's almost every time. I just have a hard time because I find that kind, those kinds of conversations come up quite often. And I know this maybe doesn't directly relate to truth, facts, and lies, but maybe it does because what you learn when you're a kid sometimes just is what plays on up into adulthood. And so I do, I, I have conversations or I'm in conversations with men where things like, oh, get, glad to get away from the wife or calling the wife, maybe, I don't know, the old, I don't even know if this is the word, but the old ball and chain right. or the, the wife or the her. And it's sort of like a, and I almost get the impression, honestly, I don't know if this is it, but I almost go like, why, 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 why get married? Like, what was the point? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you get married maybe so you can have a, a this is terrible, but an on uh, a secured sexual relationship. I guess that's one factor. Maybe when you're younger, that's something you think, oh, this would be great. But I don't know. I start to wonder, like, what did, what, why be married? Why be in this if that's how it feels to be with this other? It's such a drag. Yeah. And it's pretty common. I mean, I don't know if women know this, but I can tell you from a man's inside the locker room, so to speak, just the times that I do wonder in there, you know, those, those, I guess, gatherings or whatever you call them, just little clusters of men. That does happen quite often. I've heard it from both sides. I've heard even some of my dearest friends, and we all need to vent, and there's times well, that sure. yeah. I'm ready to throttle my husband, and I'm sure I've had it coming on multiple occasions as well. Um, but we don't, and we try to deal with it some, with some degree of humor. And there's going to be times when I want to vent to my best friend, but I still try to do it respectfully, and I hope he is extending the same courtesy to me because when I do hear yeah. a friend say something really hateful about their spouse, I just think, yeah, you're supposed to be each other's cheerleader. Right. I'm going to tell you right now, I mean, my wife's in the building so she can hear me, but if she wasn't, I would say the same thing. And this isn't no compliment to myself, but that's sort of a line for me. I don't talk about my wife uh, negatively to anybody. 
I really don't. I can't even tell you if I've ever done it. I mean, maybe I've brought her up if we're having some kind of a problem. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a relationship problem, but just a problem at home or a problem with a child and the way we're dealing with it. And maybe even if we disagree, I might bring it up. But I've never just said, I'm just going to... I don't have a feeling. There's not a, a veil, I guess, for me. Right. I just don't... I don't know. Um, I think it's like disrespectful. It's kind of what you said earlier. What do you do when you're by yourself? That's honor, yeah. you know? I treat her with honor. I, I think I do. I don't know. Maybe we're unique. I hope not. That's sad to me if our relationship is unique in this way. But I can honestly say I love that man now more than the day I married him. That's all. And that's beautiful. Especially through getting truth, facts, and lies started in those moments where I thought, this is too hard or this is time away from my family. This is disrupting our home life. I have all these great male feminists in my life, and um, we both read the book Lean In. I haven't, haven't, haven't read it. it. It's phenomenal, but he's been in the back of my, you know, over my shoulder saying, Lean in, Carrie. Like, you got this. You can do Lean it. In. And yeah, that's funny because I say that, believe it or not. I say, Lean into it. I tell my son that all the time. I'm like, You know, when something hard comes, I always have this picture in my head. I have this walking stick I walk with, and I always think of like being on that stick, like in the wind kind of blowing, and like, okay, lean forward just a little bit. Our compul- our, our react most of the time when something's hard, we just go, you know, blow the yeah. other way, and like, I ah, find a new path or find a way around it. And maybe that is the smart move sometimes, but sometimes I think leaning into things, you get, they, they go by and you learn something and it changes you. You come out the other side, and I think sometimes they're better. You're just better for it. You were asking me earlier why I do what I do, and I guess the conversation led me back to that. Because um, when we went into this, I don't know. I don't know why I do what I do, but as you're talking about leaning in, you know, leaning forward, I ran a half marathon several years ago against all odds. And there was another <laughs> runner, and she had on a T-shirt, and all her kids had put handprints on the back of her T-shirt, and it was six little hands pushing me forward. And I think that's so true. It's my kids pushing me forward, my husband behind my back pushing me forward, saying, you got this, you can do it. Yeah. And I don't know that I'd be able to do it if I didn't have such a good support system at home. He's not going to be upset if I'm gone in the evening doing a presentation or we're going to a conference in Nashville to try to get this in the hands of other schools. And he's cheering me along and not making me feel bad for one second about taking this opportunity or trying to make something of this. Yeah. You used the term male feminist. And I've I've read it in articles online, and I don't think it, I think I may full I may not fully understand what that means, and maybe someone listening to this doesn't either. What does that mean to you when you say so that? So one of our programs we have take charge we have take charge in addition to truth facts and lies, and that's been a program just for girls. And we've had two sessions in take charge. One is called Kiss My Harassment Goodbye, and it's all about it started with the Me Too movement. Uh, one of our teenagers came up with it. That was I like pretty it. clever. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, she's pretty smart. So they named it, and it's all about sexual harassment, what it is, and sometimes more importantly, what it is not. And then how do we find our voice and stand up for ourselves? And in that session, we talk about what does it mean to be a feminist. And we start out in the beginning, raise your hand if you're a feminist. And half the class will typically not raise their hand because I think it's gotten a negative connotation. But the definition of a feminist is anyone who supports gender equality. Yeah. And so by the end of this, we ask again, raise your hand if you're a feminist. Everybody should be. Yeah, I see what you mean, right. And so when I talk about my dad or my husband being great feminists, they never once thought my place was behind someone else or my place was at home. 
which, and there's nothing wrong with that's where you're placed. That's what you're called to do. You do what fills you up and makes you feel good. But there was never a pressure for me to do that. It was always, you do whatever you want to do and we're going to support you. Yeah. So if you want to run for president, go for it. If you want to stay home and raise kids, go for it. It's your choice and we got you. Um, but those times when I'm feeling overwhelmed or nervous or gosh, this is so hard. Am I doing the right thing? Yeah. I've got those cheerleaders behind me saying, you can do this. You can do hard things. Yeah. You know, I, you don't have to talk about this, but I think it's, well, let me say this. Uh, you, you talked about sexual harassment earlier and it just made me think of what's going on in the news. And, you know, you and I follow each other on Facebook, so you kind of see what I'm putting out there. I see what you're putting out there, which those it's drawings. Minimal. Yeah, but those minimal. drawings your son posted were incredibly funny. But oh, that yes. was funny. But not to get off subject on that. If but the other day I posted. Listening, some, my husband, my son, my five year old drew baseball bats for math homework and they looked very um, phallic. Yeah, yeah, they did. They were funny, though. The comments baseball were even bats. funnier. The comments bats. were it's the best social media moment Everyone I've was, had in years because people <laughs> were hilarious. You know, I'm sure teachers just, they don't, I'm sure they laugh at first. I sent a it's, note to school with a teacher saying, heads up, that's baseball bats. Yeah. Well, it was it was funny. And the way, you know, it's really, I thought, Carrie's so smart. That's what I thought. <laughs> when you explained, well, in his, in his defense, you said, you know, that's the circle at the top of the bat and then right. uh, the way the handle. And I went, oh, yeah, you know what? From an angle, from a top view, that made sense. That's and I went, well, it like. yeah, it just it wasn't technically technical skill. Yeah, maybe it wasn't there, but he was trying to draw what he saw. It just, yeah, you it just know. didn't look like didn't look like a baseball bat. Right. <clears throat> um, something I posted online, it was really just something I reshare, but it, it basically alluded to how hard it is to talk about religion and politics and how polarizing they can be. And that maybe the reason it's hard is because we've never really learned how to uh, disagree and learn how to talk about those things in a, without having to get mad at each other. So I'm always very cautious about bringing anything political up. The religious, not so much, although I tend to walk the fine line of being a heretic, I think, in the way that I, I think sometimes based against uh, doctrine and things like that. I've had to be okay with it because I trust how to trust my heart. But uh, that all said, I do want to talk about what's going on in the news right now because I'm really curious what you think particularly. I think of you a lot because your program deals exactly with what's going on. So what everything that's going on with the Supreme Court, yeah. you know, justice, that you know, the the nomination. What do you what kind of message do you think what's going on in the news if you just follow what's coming out of that? What do you think it's telling? kids coming up in the world right now who are exposed to that i'm not sure what it's telling kids i know what i'm seeing from the adults in my life and again what people post on social media which yeah. kind of makes me crazy um, i've seen a lot of women and moms post along the lines of we need to be careful because now anyone can say anything about our sons and ruin their reputation whether it's true or not I feel like that's a dangerous stance to take. I genuinely am not worried that someone is going to accuse my son of something he did not do. If that happens, I pray it doesn't, but that's not a, that's not a worry on my shoulders. I worry that my sons won't get a good consent one day and won't read a situation correctly because I know when you're a hormonally charged teenager that that's hard sometimes. Yeah. And I know that men and women are inherently different and that's okay. But I do expect my boys to be in charge of their own actions. 
And I do expect them to get a good consent and be respectful and honorable. And yeah. so we lay that groundwork at a young age. Um, I was very discouraged when our president tweeted when this all first started. If it had been that bad, she she would have come forward earlier. Yeah, that bothered me because... That's uh, so detrimental to anyone who's ever suffered any kind of right. abuse and who carries that weight with yeah. them for years. Yeah. And just last night, a good friend said, just why now? Like, it's suspicious that it came up now. Why now? I said, well, hmm. if you've carried it forever and you thought, well, I'm just going to try to be okay with it. This happened. I don't want to talk about it. Because that's a pretty normal response. I'm just going to carry this myself. But then you see this person who's done something to you be nominated for the highest court in the land. Maybe it's hard to sleep with that at that point. Yeah. And that's when you decide, okay, I have to say something. It's funny because for me... Not saying uh, he did no, it or didn't do right. it. Right. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it's it's not the fact... Right. It's what we're asking everyone to accept. We're, we're saying, well, hey, the character of this person matters we're not asking uh what his character is like because he's going to be working at a fast food restaurant not that that's a bad job but we're not you know we're not asking right. that question this person's going to be the highest court in the land you know and i don't know you know i uh we i hmm, how can i talk about I, this i don't like that this issue has become it almost seems like it's become so political and it's a right versus left yeah and the right says She's just trying to ruin his good name, and it's all, all right. a, a scam of sorts. And the left is saying, well, we believe her wholeheartedly, and we should always believe women. With everything, I feel like the truth is probably somewhere in the middle Sure. sometimes. Yeah. And I feel like if this happened to her, then she has every right to pursue it, and we have every obligation to listen Yeah. and to investigate that and... While I want my kids to respect our judicial system and our government, because I feel like that's all this is all riding on, is that we trust that this system is going to work. Right. For my daughter to trust this, I have to know that we're not going to put someone in office who... And not that you can't make a mistake and get better. It's such slippery territory. Oh, I know. I, I've had all these same thoughts you're um, bringing up. Like, can It kind of goes back to what I asked you. Can we change? Do we change? Yeah, we can change. So maybe so, he did something horrible and deplorable. Right, and then maybe he changed. As a teenager, and maybe he's changed. Right. The way he has handled it wouldn't... If he did do it the way he's handled it, I don't think illustrates that he's changed. There was no ownership of, yes, I did this. Yeah, right, right. And I'm remorseful or regret. So And, you know, and still maybe know. he didn't. And, you know, maybe... Right. Maybe he's just terrible at handling things, which there yeah. you go. A lot of people have said, if this is how he handles things, do you want this person on, you know, right. on the Supreme Court? And so I get that. And I would ask that about anybody. Do you want, I mean, whether they did this in the past or not, let's say they've changed how they're handling it now is a reflection of whether that change was authentic or not. My other big frustration in this is the all the people who are saying, well, what about Bill Clinton? And what about, and they're listing all the, the, what about whoever? And it's, I watched a news program a while back and he talked about that being a debate tactic. What about ism? Yeah. Well, what about when it yeah. happened before? Right. Well, it doesn't change what happened now and it right. shouldn't have happened then, but we're not going to use that as an excuse to not right. deal with what's happening now. Yeah. That's faulty logic. Right. Um, I, I totally agree with that. And I'm, that frustrates me. I just, I guess for me, <clears throat> I, I thought about your program immediately as it's escalated and more has come out um, in the way it's going. I thought about your program. And then I also thought about people close to me in my life. Um, I've had several, several, it's sad that that's a common thing, but several people that are close to me who have been through things like that and uh, who have 
on one hand, I know somebody who did speak out and I was asked to be their voice because they were afraid. And so I was the first person that was told. And then I said, okay, this is hard because I know the person who's the offender, but I've got to get over that. I've got to get over the fact that I, this didn't happen to me and I didn't see it and I wasn't there, but this person who it did happen to, I believe them. And if it is happening and maybe not just to her, I need to stop it. And so I brought it to the people who would be the stoppers. Okay. I'm trying to be super vague, but nothing happened. And I don't even know if that person was believed. And, and I know, I know now that for sure it would, it happened. And what I know too, as years went by, decades went by, that person, this female, was wounded in a weird way. Not just the assault, but also they learned that justice doesn't exist. Right. Nobody's going to back so them up. And so why say anything? Nobody cares enough. Everybody's afraid. We'd rather keep the status quo intact, the system intact. And it goes back to what I said earlier. You know... There's this one person and the whole bunch of people survived and a whole bunch of people's lives went on as normal and a whole group collectively, everything was fine, but her innocence is sacrificed and she was on that altar, you know? One of the big things we work with, with our students on is we, they call it my person uh, yeah. and we're identifying who's that person you can go to because just in the last year, I've had two friends disclose a history of abuse that happened to them you know, in early high school into college and they've just carried it and they haven't told anyone. And now they're adults and they're looking back on that. When you ask, well, why didn't you tell sooner? Which is the wrong thing to say to a victim who's just disclosed as a side. Right. Not, that's not what you're supposed to say, but they didn't want to get in trouble. They didn't want, they were ashamed. There was guilt associated with it. They didn't want their parent to know. So one thing I want teenagers who leave our program knowing is no matter what has happened to me, no matter how much trouble I think I'm in or how wrong something was or Whatever it may be, who's the one person I can go to? Something I work with with my daughter on. Who's your safe person? Yeah. I hope it's me, but if it's not, that's okay. Yeah. Who Somebody else can you call? though. Yeah. No matter what, who can you call? Yeah, you're right because if you don't have an advocate and in a good one, because a good one is somebody that's not going to tell you go. Oh well, you need to hide that. Right. Somebody that goes, hey, there's a healthy way to go forward from here, and the, and time. For justice to be done, time is of the essence. We know that now because look what's happening right now. Right. If if victims uh, had that feeling that the justice would be done, and then they weren't shamed, you know, that's what I'm seeing too. I'm just watching all of this go down and go, wow, we really haven't changed all that much because these things that I'm talking about happened 20, 30 years ago, and that was the way the world was then, and we're still doing it now. And I'm going, you know, how long, you know? is this going to go on where we're just shaming people into silence and, and using that as just a buffer. It's for us to just get away with whatever. And I say us, I mean, unfortunately, mostly men, um, you know, the statistics on sexual abuse are not promising. Um, it's I think one in six girls and one in 25 guys by the age of 18. And that number holds true across every race, socioeconomic bracket. So it's so prevalent and common. So there's so many survivors among us and I wouldn't want anyone to ever receive the message that it's not okay for them to disclose. Yeah. Um, and that's my concern as I'm watching things play out on the news. What are we telling 
those that have carried this. Yeah. And I do understand that, you know, it's a he, it, people are saying, what's well, a he said, she said thing. And I go, well, I mean, on some real base level, it is. But we're, but the message we're sending is don't say anything ever. That's what I hear. It's just like, if you're not going to say it at the moment and get over it, then don't ever say it. And it's like, you missed your window. Which like, is so nah. wrong. I know. It kind of brings me back to something I talk about, talked about last night when I was talking to Mickey Smith. I said, you know, it kind of feels like we'll treat this the way we treat grief in our world today. There's cult, there are cultures when they lose a, a relative, a mother, a father, a spouse, a child, where everyone says, oh, this is gravity. This is important. Take the time to heal. Don't shove yourself back into the system. We get there's a system, but we, we understand mm-hmm. that this grief is important. But I don't feel that we really do that here at all. I mean, grief is, it's acknowledged and we move on. It's like time to get back to work, move on. Just, uh, yeah, deal with your grief on the job. You have a certain number of days, but you better make them work. You know, get over it, get back, get moving, toughen up, get back in the system. And I feel like that's kind of the same message what we're saying about almost like assault. It's like, why are you still complaining about this? Yeah, it's so long ago. Shouldn't yeah, so long it? ago. You know, man, you're changing. The word I used in the last interview, because I heard someone else use it on a podcast, and I was like, man, that's the word for me, is a hinge gets created in your life. Something is bent at that moment. That hinge is now there, where there was one piece of metal, now there's two, and it's there. It's connected, but there's a pin in it, and it moves. You've shifted. Assault shifts someone's life. I know it. I've seen it. And right. we, we're treating, I don't know, treating it and politicizing it, I think it's just terrible, personally. Now, this is supposed to be find the good, and I'm talking about kind of finding the bad. But, I mean, I uh, I do actually have a belief that sometimes to find the good, you got to sometimes go get a little upset and, and actually say, hey, this isn't right There's a, to, make, to, to make something better. Writer, I follow... I can never remember if she's ever listens to this. I hope she'll forgive me. I can't ever remember her name's Glennon Doyle Melton or Glennon Melton Doyle. Um, but she coined the phrase brutal and how through brutal, hard things, something beautiful comes. Yeah. And then it gives you a chance for growth or change or opportunity. Um, and I just always, I think of that when yeah. I watch a friend going through something tough. Oh, I agree. Actually, I mean, it's, you can look at almost, uh, any of the ancient philosophers or any wisdom book of any kind or even religion. And you're going to see some version of that where it's, you know, there's a, a shucking away or a, uh, a, a burning away or going through a, a suffering for something new to be born, rebirth, all of that. I mean, it's all, I actually think, and this is where it gets heavy, you know, that's how everything is. I think you can look at just outside, just look at a thing. Uh, and I guess the Buddhists would call it interbeing. And everything has the pattern of everything else in it already. I mean, you can look at the rise and fall of a flower and the way it is reborn and what has to happen for those little pods to, you know, spread around, for them to, for the flower to die, for something else to come along, for the soil to get tilled, for everything to happen just the right way, or for new trees to be born, lightning has to strike. I mean, look around at the world and you go, that's all what renewal is, is something that seems chaotic and destructive, but the uh, but giving birth to 
the wonder that we behold, you know, and I think that's what's going on in people too. I really, really do. I can see it in myself. I see it in, I see it in my son. I see it in my daughter. I mean, my daughter is a female who's struggled with everything that you, I, everything you teach at Truth, Facts, and Lies. I, when I first started going to Truth, Facts, and Lies, it was the first thought I had. When I filmed you for the first time, I thought, oh man, I just wish so badly that a program like this had existed for my daughter. I think it would have helped her so much and created just a, a safe place to deal with some things. You know, and a lot of tragedies would have been avoided. On the flip side, as the years pass and my daughter gets through her tragedies, I see some beautiful things coming out of her and insights, and now she's able to help other people. And I'm like, wow, so had she not suffered and our family suffered, these beautiful gifts maybe wouldn't have been, maybe they were always there, but maybe they wouldn't have been revealed. I don't know. Uh, have you ever had anything that you would call would, would look that way? Like, oh, wow, this was a pain, but it changed. It gave gave rise to something new in you. I hate to sound vapid, but no, like I really, I have led just an exceptionally charmed life, which I think helps again inspire me to give back because I didn't do anything special to deserve this. Yeah, if I'd have made one different decision at one point in my life, my whole life could be different. But things have played out. Like I said, it's charmed life. I hate to... No. That makes it, me sound so... It doesn't. I, I don't want to say vain, but it's with a huge sense of gratitude that I say that. Yeah. So no, I haven't had to struggle with anything major. There's not been big tragedy in my family. I mean, my dad had a heart attack when he was 40, but he lived. He's still with us. Um, so we've had little health issues with our family. My grandmother, who I adored, she's my soft place to land. She passed away, but she led this great full life. Um and I got to have her for so long. So there was nothing tragic yeah, about that. No but, tragedy. Yeah. So no real tragedy for me. Um, and my line of work, I see it and I witness mm. it, you know, as a nurse, I'm there yeah. for the darkest, most awful moments of people's lives. But for me personally, no, I haven't, I haven't experienced that. Well, what about with truth, facts and lies? Um, as you've done this for the last couple of years, has anything just surprised you? Like you went, wow, I just, this opened my eye. Something opened your eyes to something that you maybe were in the dark about or didn't, weren't aware of? Every day. Um, I'm on Urban Dictionary all the time, learning new <laughs> words and phrases. Um, I have a whole new vocabulary. Um, there's been lots of little moments where that light bulb clicks on and it's like, oh my gosh, that's, I tell everybody, teenagers now have a much harder path than any previous generation. I would not want to have to deal with what they are dealing with. I'm grateful I never had to date in the age of social media and cell phones. Yeah. Um, that puts a whole different spin on things. But there's been lots of things that students have said to me where I think, oh, my gosh. Like for, Can you give me yeah, an example? Yeah, for example, because without... I'm trying to beat around the bush and not throw any under the bus. Yeah, well, do you without, don't say any names, but can you give me um, an example of like something? You were there for one of them. We were interviewing students about why other students needed to hear truth, facts, and lies. And once the camera cut... This beautiful girl was talking about when we talk, taught addiction, and she said, you know, before this, I thought someone in her family had experienced addiction, and she said, I thought they were kind of doing this to me and to hurt me and not thinking of me, but now I see how their brain works and how their brain responded, and it's going to help me forgive them because they weren't necessarily doing it to me. Wow. So I saw the change in their brain, and that was never on my agenda of why we need to teach addiction to catch that aspect of things, right. but I thought... That 
That's amazing. Yeah, I'm and so look glad. at what she learned. I yeah, mean, that that's, that's a huge, huge human truths. I mean, forgiveness, right. empathy, so compassion. So that was a big thing. Um, I've had one girl tell me, it's really hard to trust your boyfriend. She was 15 when you see him liking other girls' pictures on Instagram. And I thought, you know what? When you're 15, I bet that is super oh hard. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's really I hard. I can't even imagine what that's like, honestly. Yeah. I mean, back when I, I was 15... That didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't even, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're maybe the girl you were dating or the boy or whatever, maybe they looked at somebody else or something. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a comparison. Right, but you're already I mean, a little like, insecure at 15 and yeah. you don't have a great sense of and self. Relationships are kind of new. Right, it's and you're like, really trying hard to navigate that. And then you've got this extra layer that previous generations didn't have to deal with. And I bet that is really yeah. hard. You know. And it's hard to keep that in check and not let it snowball and cause other problems. Absolutely. I can't even imagine what that's like. I actually have talked to my wife about this. We talk about it a lot because we have a teenage child who's on social media, you know. And thankfully, your program has honestly given him a lot of awareness. He brings it up all the time. Even when I'm like, oh, what are you doing on your phone again? And then he reminds me that he's being safe and he knows the... You know, the protocols. And I'm like, man, that's all because of Carrie's program. I mean, he just, he absorbs that like a sponge. He takes it to heart. I mean, he really does. He thinks it's the law, like in his brain, (laughs) this is how you need to do online. I think that works for us. That that's a kid's takeaway because I never tell them yes or no. I'm never giving them the answer. We structure it so that they get to hear from their peers and their safety in numbers. And so if one of their peers says, well, this is how I would handle that problem. That makes them all feel like, oh, okay, so they see it as a problem too. This is how they would do it. Yeah. And it's not one more adult shaking their finger at them. My sister phrases this beautifully. People always ask why we don't bring God into the program. Yeah. One, we're in public schools. Yeah. So. Right out the gate. Right out the gate. Yeah. And two, kids need this information from lots of sources in lots of different ways. And I'm going to put a research-based factual spin on it, but that doesn't take away the need for family or church to put their spin on it. They need all those different perspectives. So I'm just giving them one little piece of it. And the more, and as Kristen says, she goes, we're trying to be different. We're going to do it differently than anybody else. And that's why it works because we're something different and we're a safe place and we're not going to judge and we're not going to tell them yes or no. But here's the information you need to navigate this. You know, and I think, and you, you brought it up, so I'm going to make a comment on it. I find that is uh, a lot of, there's a lot of common ground between religious or spiritual teachings and what you're putting out there. You know, if you have a faith that has a doctrine or if you have just some sort of a spiritual life or if you're a reader, if you like to read wisdom books or, or whatever it may be, I, that's one of my big things. I've loved it for 20 something years. I've been trying to find the answer, you know, to so many questions that I had at, at 20 years old about reality. What is happening? Why are we here? Who am I? Is there a God? All that stuff. So I read and read and read and read. And what I found beautifully so is that my mind now, I, I overlap one to the other. I go, oh, that, that's this tradition, that's this saying. But I hear a completely different tradition out of a different culture, and I hear the same message so same message. often. It's like this universal truths. And then, then your program, you're going to hear the same thing. I mean, it's on this list of questions that I always I want to ask everybody, and we end up just meandering into them. But one of them was, what does it mean to you to hear, love the other as you love yourself? Your program's teaching that. 
I hope that's a yeah. It's a, in there. The thread I mean, that's woven through everything is that every human has value and dignity for no other reason than that they are human. Yeah. And we all have basic rights. They to, came from where you came from. To dignity and respect, no matter yeah. what. And so I hope that thread is woven through there, and I hope our kids are picking up on that without me beating them yeah, over the head. Yeah, you don't have to tell them. Right. This comes from this faith tradition or whatever. You know, you can just teach it to them, and then that. And when we talk about boundaries, my boundaries are different than your boundaries, and that's okay. Right. That's totally normal. But what happens when I'm the one stepping on someone, crossing someone else's line, and they tell me, hey, I don't like that? What's our initial response? Well, we're human. For most of us, we're going to get defensive. Yeah. So we're working on keeping that in check. And if we find out we've crossed someone else's boundary, we need to be respectful of that. And that's not them trying to be mean or hateful towards us. That's that's our problem, and we need to look at that as that's their boundary, and it's okay. Yeah. Um, so we try to look at things from multiple viewpoints in there, how we can correct our own behavior and self-regulate ourselves and look at conflict resolution and better communication and how what we should expect from others. Yeah. Have you, um, I mean, you have different types of kids in the program, and I've seen some of that. I mean, have you all learned a lot about dealing with different personality types and how to, uh, new conflicts arise yeah. within the group based on the subject matter or just some, one child's temperament. I mean, I find that fascinating. That's got to be... I texted Jonah the other night after our last meeting because he was. I hope he doesn't mind that I'm... No, he, uh, he doesn't. Yes, he, he actually talks to me about whatever um, you said. I texted me. him after said, you okay? Because there's another kid in our group who's a real strong personality and he and Jonah couldn't be more different. And I suspect uh, having very different yeah. high school experiences. Right. And it doesn't make one of their experiences more valid or right. important than the other, but they are very different. Sure. And I love having them both in there because while they are very different and I worry about one of them getting steamrolled over, I do need to hear from both of them because yeah. we need to make sure our program is touching both ends of that spectrum. You handled that beautifully because I do know what you're talking about because Jonah talks to me, I, at least I hope, you know, I cross my fingers. He probably talks to me about 90% of what's going on, maybe more, but I'm sure there's some I stuff. I that's he, good odds. Yeah. I, I like mean, those odds. I hope I get 90% of I my really kids. do. Jonah's kind of an open book, but I do think like anybody, he's probably got some things that he isn't talking about. But uh, when it comes to your program, I think he I, he knows that I know you and that we work on things with you, so we have a relationship there. So I think he's like, oh, you want to hear about every single detail of what went on. So he, he tells me things, and I, I was talking to him about that, and I said, well, you know, that is sort of the point. It's not that, okay, we're all going to get along, and everybody's going to be the same. We're all going to have these conversations and mirror each other, and it's just a big echo chamber. That would be great if everybody lived that way. That's right. not reality. You're gonna you're going out and your program needs to be for everybody. And so I told him something very similar. I was like, you know, you were raised this way, and this is what your home life is like. And here's some of the tragedies you've had, and some of the things you've went through. And then you are your own unique individual. I said that's not to even consider the, that person goes to a different school. You know, all of those things, geography. That person's looking at you possibly, and it's the same thing. They can't consider all the factors that make you, and I hate to bring Snowflake up, but now they're both Snowflakes. They're both unique. They're both genuine yeah. to their life. So We're you have to. We're all in our own lane. That's right. And that's okay. We just got to have room for a lot of different lanes. Yeah. You got to talk to everybody. That. Yeah. yeah, and just because we're very different, we talk a lot about stereotyping. We do a whole session on bullying, but teenagers have told us they're sick of the word bullying, and I, I hear them. I, I agree. I think that term's thrown around so flippantly and misused quite a bit, and I find that annoying. Um, 
so we talk about stereotyping and when we naturally label and categorize things that's as humans that's what we do but when we put someone in a box and we label them that's our issue that's to make us feel better it has nothing to do with the person we just labeled it's to make us feel better but once we've done that even if it's a positive label and the best example i can come up with is athlete if you put someone in that jock or athletic box and that's not you do you then also assume i can't possibly have anything in common with that person we can't have a connection we can't talk our lanes are too far apart yeah and how much are we missing out on if we're going to put that person in a box and not try to get to know them? And that's on the positive end of the spectrum. So then if we move over to the negative end, what happens if we label someone and put them in a box negatively? Yeah. Is that even worse? Is it easier to mistreat someone or assume that we don't need to offer them respect? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the world's changed so much and it's a lot of it's just access to information. But I mean, I can compare that to even entertainment. And I think that's a lot of why, for instance, uh, I don't know if you watch Star Wars movies or, okay. So, Courtesy of my boys. Well, I mean, so you got guys, and boy, this is going to get off to a whole nother topic. But okay, so you got a whole camp of people who love the old Star Wars movies. Well, then the new ones start coming out, and especially the most recent one. And I remember going online because I didn't love it necessarily, but I watched it again. I didn't hate it. But I started thinking about what was so different about it. And I think it's the, in in the past, we looked at the bad guy. We knew who he was. He looked like a bad guy. He acted like a bad guy. He did bad guy stuff. And that was it. And we were able, cool, I can identify that. That's easy. And this is the good guy. He looks like this. He does good things. He has a history that leads up. He's the hero. Now Kylo Ren is yeah, dancing sort back of, and forth That's all over right, the place. exactly. And we've got this weird like mishmash. So is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a good? She, I thought she was the good guy. And it's broken our concept of, oh, there's a little bit in everybody. And then I look at TV shows like that are very popular, and it's a trend. They're all about the villain, Breaking Bad. I mean, if you watched it, I don't know if you did. I haven't. My husband just started watching it. It's he picks new shows, and so he. Well, that's a good one. I hardly ever watch TV. Actually, that's a character study, and I loved it because of that. I mean, I think we all are fascinated because we go, "Oh, well, I see Walter White in me. Oh, he's a dad. He's a teacher. He's a this. He's a that." But he's the doggone villain of the show, and eventually you begin to go, "Oh, I, I wonder." I wonder if life had handed me his circumstances. Would I have made a different choice? Would I have choice? made a different choice? So it's these complex things. And I think that's kind of what you have to deal with is there's just, it's not just black no, it's not. and white. Nothing I mean, is black and white. No. no. None of us are all good. But we did live bad. in a world where we told ourselves things were black and white for a yeah. very, very long time. I think we've done that as just all throughout right. humanity. There's this side and that side and that's it. And you don't need to worry about the middle. Or the, or the gray I mean, areas. When in reality, I think we're all probably in the gray. Sure. You know, I talk about this with my son a lot, Jonah. Uh, he, if he, if, and I'm guilty, too, of complaining. That's part of why I wanted to do this show. I said, you know, I'm guilty of taking on a negative viewpoint. I want to change my viewpoint. I want to see more good in the world. And I've told him that many times when he comes home. I said, uh, you know, I need to hear both. As your parent who's supporting you in all your endeavors, and as your consoler and your counselor and your financial resource and whatever you are, I'm your I'm your hero, man. I'm on your side. But when all I hear are the bad things, things are super imbalanced for me in my heart. 
I need to know that there's some good too. And I, basically, I told him, I said, I need a little yin and a little yang. I need both. So tell me the good too, because I want to know that the suffering is worth it, the energy is worth it. That you're, that it's not. We're just not riding a bicycle without wheels on it. You know that we're we're actually doing something good. That there is something coming out of it. And so, I've changed what I do when I get home. And I'm going to ask you the same question. And I, I should have asked you at the beginning. Did anything good happen today? And so I don't go home anymore and say, "How was your day?" Because it opens this whole. We can get caught in a negative rut. So did anything good happen today? And that's. That has actually turned out to be a harder question, even for my younger son. That is hard. That's so, how we start our bedtime prayers every night. What, what, are you what th- good? What, what are you thankful for today? Yeah. And my middle child is very um, ornery. Yeah. Um, so my good today, because he's ornery and just, he kind of is real self-contained. He never gets really excited about anything, but he's suddenly really into baseball. He watched The Sandlot, and now we're oh, baseball wow. obsessed, yeah. which is what led us to drawing baseball bats on our math homework. <laughs> Um, but he, this morning was so excited to show me how you throw a knuckleball and he explained the physics behind a knuckleball. And that was just amazing watching this kid who doesn't get excited about much and he doesn't, he's not a big talker. Yeah. And he explained this to me and just seeing the excitement in his face. So that was my good today. And I went to yoga and the guy teaching the class pushed on my back and it felt really good. (laughs) So that's good. So you were able, you're able to find the lights throughout the day. Do you find you're able to do that easily? Um, yeah, I would say most of my days are good. I mean, I have frustrating days just like everybody else. And I'm a complainer. Like I tend to vent not because I'm complaining, but because I want to fix the problem. There's a problem and let's find a solution. So I think a lot of people would perceive me as a complainer or negative when really I'm just trying to find a way to fix this problem. Yeah. See, I'm trying to learn how to get from, I've seen the problem. I've identified the problem. I'm frustrated by the problem. Now I'm complaining about the problem, but get out of that cycle and then get into the fixing. And, and that's something that's, it's, it's for me, I don't know why I have to, I have to work at it. Like really, cause I can get caught easily in a, in a pattern of repeating the same thing happening and still complaining and not going to that next step of going, okay, I'm going to change this. I got to try a thing to make it different. I would say overall, though, I lay my head down every night thankful for, even if it was a, just another day, like nothing's, it was a good day. Yeah. My kids are okay. Yeah. I, I have a good life. You know it's what? Okay. That for me too, I, I got to say, I, I tend to be the last one to sleep at my house unless it's the weekend and the boys just stay up till as long as, as long as they can keep their eyes open. But I tend to be the last one and, uh. It's after everybody went to bed. They, I mean, Jonah still, if he knew, he would think it was, he would say, Dad, that's creepy. But I do, I open his door and I go in there and I just look at him, you know, and then I shut his door. It's not long, but I just, I don't know. I just, I'm like, my son is here. My son is healthy. My son's alive. I love him. He loves me. I have all these little thoughts that go through my head. And then my other boy, I go in his room and just, that's when he's the most peaceful. He's mm-hmm. not a kinetic ping pong ball right. because that's really what he, they are. That oh age. man. How old he, is he? He's eight. He's eight. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, eight. well, he'll be eight and, uh, I always say he's eight. He'll be eight in next month, but he is so kinetic. And so, you know, getting him to just sit still long enough, just hug me. And Jonah's a teenager. So when you hug him, it's like, not like you get when you're little, right. you know, it's, it's like, okay, I can feel the tension hug. in his yeah. body. And it's like, well, you're hugging me, you know, it's uh, but, um, 
you know, I go in there and I lay with them and I'm like, you, I, I think, man, this is it. I mean, it doesn't matter if the house is a wreck, there's things I didn't finish today. At that moment, I'm like, okay, you know, everything's good. Everybody's here. I don't want to sound too like, I guess in the interest of being transparent, I think I would be annoyed if I listened to someone say what I said, like every day's a good day. By the time I put my kids into bed, I'm usually so overstimulated. I can barely see straight and it's time for you to go to bed. <laughs> right. I know what you mean. But at the yeah. end of my day, I would say my days are good and I'm grateful. I think one of you go in at night, mine is in the morning when I wake them up mm. and I go into my daughter's room and she looks so she was a baby. She had these fat, fat, just huge cheeks. She got a little chipmunk and if she's gone, you know, she's leaned out. She looks like a big girl now. But when I wake her up in the morning, she's laying down. You can see that baby Caroline face again. And I just love seeing that baby Caroline face every morning where she's smushed up on her pillow. You know, that makes you go. And it's something I used to when I was younger and before life was really so busy. And that's just the thing we miss when we're younger. We're not aware of what we're losing in that youth, you know, that, that time we have. And I used to have those thoughts like, man... Everybody, everybody's baby Caroline at some point in their life. You know what I mean? Everybody was somebody's little baby. Everybody was like a joy. I mean, you hope. Or you like, or it was a daydream. I just used to have that thought when I would meet somebody that I didn't really maybe have a good interaction with. I was like, you know, but they were lovable at some point. <laughs> there's, you know? there's light somewhere. There's something. And, then what, and you know, what's changed What on the inside? That's somewhere. I just really do believe that. I don't know. I'm not just saying that. Like, I, I find that even as bad as maybe some things can be, I find that if I really let myself think about somebody that may be an enemy, if that's even a thing, I don't know. But somebody that maybe I would consider an enemy, or a, I don't know, I don't like that word, but right. do you know I'm what I mean? An, an antagonist. Uh, yeah, an antagonist in my life. Somebody that's like really maybe just on my nerves for whatever reason. I'm like, if they, they, they're still somewhere. There's that fresh first light, you know? And I do, this is so naive, but I do believe, or maybe I naively want to stick to this. I don't want to think that people who I would consider bad, I even hate to use that word. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't feel like they feel like they're making a wrong choice. I think, or I would like to believe we're all doing the best we can with what we've been given. Yeah. Or at least I hope so. There's this saying in the... Do you ever read the Tao Te Ching? Mm-mm. Uh, I'll have to get you a copy. You okay. might like it, but... Uh, I read everything else in sight. I yeah. It's it's an easy read. It's a Chinese book. Uh, Lao Tzu. It's one of these... I, I, I talk about it all the time. It's one of my favorite books. It stuck with me. And one of the things it says in there is, uh, what is a good man but a bad man's teacher? What is a bad man but a good man's job? And I was really young when I read that. And I have thought about that one line so often. It brings me back mm-hmm. a lot of times to, to a center point, I guess, where I can go, you know, it isn't black and white. And while I, that's why I ask what is good, what is good? Because sometimes good is really defined by what's bad, yeah. you know? And so to hear you say, you know, bad, I don't know what that even really means, maybe necessarily. There's, there's people I obviously don't like or don't get sure, along we all with. Have and that. I don't like their motivation or their decisions. But I try to remind myself, I'm not in their shoes. I haven't lived their life. Yeah. I'm just hopeful that they're doing the best they can with what they've got. Yeah, if we all just, I, I think there'd be a, a little, it'd be a little cooler world. 
if we all just did that right there. Sometimes it's hard to remind myself of that. We all go through. I I struggle more with some people than others. Yeah, me too. I mean, hey, I know. Look, I I talked about this last night with Mickey, the clock. You know, you get in the clock and the ticking, it's, it's going on. I mean, you're in it from the time you get up to the time things stop in the day, the clock, clock, clock. That will take you out for sure. And then you'll forget all that stuff that you've got that's helping you, you know, treat people better and see the other person's point of view and, you know, have some empathy. But if it's just like go from one thing to the next and it's I call it the sin of busyness because it's not it's not busy for anything other than just being busy. And uh, I don't know. I I find that takes me out of that place. I have to watch it. I really do. It takes work. Tell people regularly. So we started the nonprofit organization so we could put truth, facts and lies and our community at no charge to the schools. And through doing that, our community has been so incredibly generous. And so many people have volunteered and given tons of time. And I think while I'm totally grateful for the money that lets us do this and I can fund this through people's financial generosity, I am so much more impressed when people give me their time because that's the hardest. It's easy to write a check. Yeah. It's really hard to give your time. And our community has been so very generous. Yeah, time is hard. I talk about that with my wife a lot. It's like, you know, I I look at people who volunteer for things. And, you know, there's this knee-jerk reaction when you're busy to go, well, well they got the time to do that. And I've done, I'm guilty of saying that. And then when I really slow down and I'm having a break and I really think about it, I'm like, they're just like me. They don't have any more time than I have. They're just making a choice to give their give of themselves away. I want to go back to be as busy as I was when we were first married and no kids and I was just working (laughs) as a nurse. I want to go back to that level of busy when I thought, I don't have time to go work out. I I work three 12-hour shifts a week. Why am I supposed to go to the gym? I know. I'd love to be that busy again. Yeah, it's all perspective. I mean, it all changes. Um, So talking about people helping community, I, I think we need to hear from you how people can find out more about what you're doing, about you, about your, you know, your nonprofit, Truth, Facts, and Lies. What is it? Uh, where do they go? So if you live in Southwest Louisiana, we have the Southwest Louisiana Youth Foundation. That's our nonprofit organization that helps us put this program in the five parish area. And people can donate? People can donate financially. Um, our website is swlayouthfoundation.org. Okay. You can donate financially. You can sponsor us. Our annual fundraiser is Margarita Bingo, and that's how we make sure you know we're we're giving this to the kids at no charge to them. And no one on our team is taking a salary or a fee at this point either, which is amazing. So every dollar we raise goes back into a school um, and goes back to our community. On a larger scale, if you're outside of Southwest Louisiana and you're interested in having the Truth, Facts, and Lies program at your school, you can visit our website. It's truthfactslies.org. Um, there's information on how to get in touch with us. If you want us to come give a presentation, we do lots of parent education. I got to speak at the state nurse practitioner conference this year about, um, just from a nursing or medical perspective, how we need to be addressing some of these issues with our patients and their families. And we talked about addiction and that process in their brain, just kind of what makes a teenager unique. So we do that. We're speaking at the connections count connections count conference it's a mouthful right now yeah um in february through family and youth organization and we'll be talking about teenagers and pornography so we do lots of education programs and if you want it in your school you go to truthfactslies.org and reach out to us um, it'll route you to my email and we'll give you the information on how to license it for your school and we'll come train you there's eight hours of professional development for faculty 
all the PDFs, videos, so you can see how we teach it, because it's never a lecture. It's a guided discussion. We don't lecture ever. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I think it's a good program. You know I do. Um, we're going to keep helping whatever way we can, as much as we can, you know. I tell everybody um, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for you guys. Well, you, I think back to just the first time I ever met you in here, you know, any client, you, I always remember the first meeting. And uh, I got to say, your program and the things you've done with it in that short period of time, it really is pretty astounding. I'm sure it is to you too. It is. Sometimes I, because I'm just doing one day at a time and putting one foot in front of the other. And we have an amazing team of volunteers and helpers and feedback and our teenagers that do our focus groups with us. Like there's so much, um, so many attaboys to go around because this is not a one man show at all. It's successful because we have so many people helping us and working on it. And we have so many teenagers involved helping us along the way. That's what makes it relevant for them. Yeah. Your, your program, uh, your logo was one of the, it's one of the simplest logos we've done, but, uh, it was one of my favorites because of, I don't know, it just, it made total sense. We sat here at this table we're talking at, and we had all these ideas and just tons of little sketches. And it was like, we're dealing with, uh, typography and typable things. And so, we were trying to come up with something that could be multiple things. And you, sometimes that can get really complex, but then when we landed on the I is what we called it, the truth, facts and lies, I, uh, and we saw it as an I at first. And then we saw it as an empowerment and a protection, protective stance. And boy, that just, it was like it needed to be. Yeah. It just needed to be. It it was just needed to be. Yeah. Real simple. It needed to be. And I I love it. I love seeing it. Um, If anyone had told me, Two years ago, I would have been talking about logos and running a business. I would have thought they were out of their mind. I mean, nursing never, school never considered it, huh? Never prepared me for what I'm currently doing. Um, so it's every day I'm learning new things from graphic design books that you've referred me to, to <laughs> QuickBooks and tax law. You you've done so much. I mean, really and truly, I uh, it's impressive. I always wonder. If, Again, what makes a person different like that to where not everybody can do that? There's people who have ideas all the time, you know, but they don't, they don't, they don't come to life. That's, that's all the time. I mean, you know, I'm sure somebody's listening to this right now. They've got an idea for something and you got to take that next step. What is that next step? And then finding that out and then actually doing the thing. I wish I could say there was forethought into, well, let me do this program and how can I make this happen? It really just kind of snowballed and it was a very natural sequence of events. It wasn't a, I didn't have this big goal to be anything more than a nurse practitioner. Um, but it's all goes back to being pushed from the time I was born to be the best version of me. I could be, make my family proud, do the right thing and give back to my community. Yeah. Well, what I see is, you know, and it covers a lot of the ground of what we talked about. You saw a problem. You saw something that was maybe, let's call it bad, over and over and over again. And that inspired you to change it, which I think is good. So uh, I think that's, it makes it easy to find the good whenever people like you are out there doing that. It's so much fun. Every day I'm in a school is a great day. There's so much fun to work with. Um, I'm having just the best time. If people could just let me be in the schools and not have to do the administrative part of this, 
be a happy clam. Yeah, I think most people, even our job, it's uh, the business side of things and the, you know, that end of it kind of can steal you away from the passion side of it. But uh, I think it, I think creativity and uh, goodness, really, I do. I believe it. I believe those things want to find life in the world. I do. I think they arise. And, you know, I don't know where I heard it. Not even it may I may not have heard it. I may have just a, a bunch of ideas in one, but the idea that uh, something arises when it's time for it, when it's needed, whether that be a, a person will arrive in the world to do a thing when it is needed, and I think we've seen that over and over. You can look throughout history and see, oh, this person arose, and, and it was a desperate thing. Um, I can, I, that's probably bigger picture than maybe the way you think of yourself, but I think your program has arisen out of the world that it was born from and it's solving a, a problem. It's interesting that you phrase it that way. Cause yesterday I was road tripping back from round top with my friends and we were talking about how this all happened. I said, I don't know. It's like suddenly this path became so clear and doors shut and things opened up and the only way forward was to do this. And it became so obvious that this is what I needed to do. Mm. And I was just kind of funneled right down a chute. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, what didn't matter what someone believes, I guess. But I mean, for me, I choose to say that is a, a, an alignment. Some reason, sometimes, and we don't know why, things line up and we're through those alignments, we are called somehow to align ourselves with those other things. And if you do, something happens something special I, I definitely agree I love you just